Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to the Georgia Today podcast from GPB News. Today is Tuesday, August 15th. I'm Peter Biello. On today's episode, a Fulton County court indicts former President Donald Trump for trying to overturn the 2020 election. A federal judge denies the city of Atlanta's request to halt the Stop Cop City referendum petition. And Georgia Red Cross volunteers head to Maui to help with recovery efforts after devastating wildfires. These stories and more are coming up on this edition of Georgia Today. Former President Donald Trump and 18 others have been indicted and charged with felonies in a Fulton County court for their failed attempts to overturn the 2020 election. GPB's Stephen Fowler has more. After a full day of hearing the case, a Fulton County grand jury handed up indictments against Donald Trump and 18 allies for their parts in trying to subvert the presidential election outcome in Georgia. There are 41 total counts of breaking the law, but all are combined under the state's racketeering statute. District Attorney Fonnie Willis said those acts constituted a criminal enterprise, and those named are charged with seeking to... To accomplish the illegal goal of allowing Donald J. Trump to seize the presidential term of office beginning on January 20th, 21. Others charged include former Georgia GOP Chair David Schaefer, former Trump Attorney Rudy Giuliani, and Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, In all, the 98-page indictment covers multiple attempts to overturn the 2020 election. For GPB News, I'm Stephen Fowler at the Fulton County Courthouse. In response to the Fulton County DA's indictments, Governor Brian Kemp posted on social media that, quote, the 2020 election in Georgia was not stolen, saying elections in Georgia are secure, accessible, and fair. GPB's Donna Lowry reports on reactions from Georgia's political party leaders. The current chairman of the Georgia Republican Party, Josh McCoon, says he's hurt and angry. We don't settle political disputes in America by using the criminal justice system to go after political opponents. I'm particularly upset about a lot of Georgians who have been pulled into this, who simply wanted to be able to preserve President Trump's ability to fight his election contest in court. Democratic Party of Georgia Chair Congresswoman Nakima Williams released a statement saying, Anyone who tries to silence or subvert the voice of the people at the ballot box is attacking the very foundation of our democracy. She ended her remarks with, Georgians will watch him face accountability. For GPB News, I'm Donna Lowry. Republican Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger also weighed in on the indictments. He said in a statement, quote, The most basic principles of a strong democracy are accountability and respect for the Constitution and rule of law. You either have it or you don't. In a recorded phone call, then-President Donald Trump pressured Raffensperger in 2021 to, quote, find enough votes to give him a victory in Georgia. A court ruling has extended the deadline to collect signatures in the Cop City vote campaign. So far, organizers fighting against a new police training center have collected 80,000 signatures, but they plan to keep going. GPB's Amanda Andrews has more. Canvas teams have set August 21st as the deadline to reach the new goal of 100,000 signatures. 
Mary Hooks is a leader with Cop City Vote. She says despite the challenges of the referendum system, they will succeed. Requirements of who can sign and who, or who can't sign, it has made it a challenge. And we are not above a challenge, you know, we're here for it because we know that our people, our communities, our environments are worth the sacrifice. State law requires just over 58,000 signatures to get the measure on the ballot. But organizers are gathering more in case of any challenges by the city of Atlanta. Michelle Sanchez is canvassing in Latino communities where they're fighting misinformation. I heard that it doesn't even matter if I do sign because the mayor said it doesn't. And so having to, you know, let them know that it absolutely does matter because if we are able to get this on the ballot, then voters will be the ones who decide where their money is being used. After the deadline, the city clerk has 50 days to verify the signatures. A vote could come as soon as November. For GPB News, I'm Amanda Andrews. Controversial new rules for teacher training that leave out words like diversity, equity, and inclusion take effect today. The rules replace those words with phrases including fair access, opportunity, and advancement for all students. The Georgia Professional Standards Commission adopted the new rules earlier this summer. Supporters say the changes were adopted to avoid confusion, but opponents say they are sowing confusion among teachers. Today is the 45th anniversary of the creation of the Chattahoochee River National Recreation Area. The law signed by President Jimmy Carter in 1978 provided for the preservation and protection of the river. Sally Bethay is former Chattahoochee Riverkeeper. She says with this law, Carter helped protect natural spaces from development. Our rivers don't need to be lined with private property. Mm. Public space is what Jimmy Carter gave us for this river, and it's helped protect the river as well, the water quality. The Chattahoochee River National Recreation Area saw more than 3.5 million visitors in 2022 and ranked 21st in the country in number of visitors to national parks just behind Yosemite. Volunteers from the American Red Cross of Georgia are in Hawaii as recovery efforts continue following devastating fires. GPB's Ellen Eldridge reports so far nearly 100 people are confirmed dead. Seven disaster-trained volunteers are working in temporary shelters, providing evacuees a safe place to stay, food to eat, and emotional support while preparing to expand relief efforts if needed. The biggest need right now is finding housing for all those people displaced by the fires. Volunteers are also assisting residents in reconnecting with displaced family members. Overall, 250 Red Cross volunteers are on the ground in Hawaii. For GPB News, I'm Ellen Eldridge. Atlanta-based Home Depot topped profit and sales expectations in its most recent quarter. However, the home improvement retailer says sales continued to decline as inflation and soaring interest rates play a larger role in the spending choices made by Americans. Despite the stronger-than-expected sales figures, Home Depot is sticking to previous guidance for the year, seeing sales decline between 2 and 5 percent, and that is after lowering its forecast in the last quarter. It's the first time the chain has forecast declining annual sales since 2009, when the U.S. economy was decimated by a massive housing bubble. If you like hearing the news from around the state here on Georgia Today, you'll probably like hearing how Georgia's agriculture economy feeds the country and the world on a fork in the road. I'm David Zelski, and on the Fork in the Road podcast, we feature stories from Georgia's farmers, fishermen, merchants, artisans, chefs, and others who help provide Georgia-grown products to folks in the Peach State and beyond. Find it online at gpb.org slash podcast or download it on your favorite podcast platform. 
The indictment of former President Trump and 18 associates yesterday encompasses a variety of misdeeds that Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis says add up to a wide-ranging conspiracy. She charged them under Georgia's Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations, or RICO, law. For more insight into this case, we turn to attorney Clint Rucker. He's a veteran prosecutor who now works with Garland, Samuel, and Loeb in Atlanta, handling criminal defense matters and trial cases. He's also a judge presiding in the city of East Point and the city of South Fulton. Clint Rucker, welcome to the program. Thank you very much for having me. In this nearly 100-page indictment, what stands out to you about the strength of this case? The thing that really jumped out at me uh, was the factual specificity with respect to the allegations in the indictment. Uh, It says to me that this district attorney's office and her team really, really took their time and developed uh, the case uh, such that um, despite many of the complaints I've heard about how long the investigation took, uh, I would say it's better to be safe than sorry. And certainly this indictment demonstrates to me that uh, they have crossed every T and dotted every I. Okay, and do you see any major challenges on the road ahead for the prosecution? Well, you know, there are always challenges because the burden rests with the prosecutors to prove each and every essential element uh, in the indictment beyond a reasonable doubt. That is uh, not a very uh, easy standard to meet. Uh, And certainly given the uh, other uh, outside dynamics, you know, the status of the defendants and certainly lots of the publicity that has surrounded this case and other cases, uh, I would expect that uh, there are going to be challenges uh, for this DA's office to uh, successfully present this case. But um, historically, that office has handled high profile, very complex cases before in the past. Uh, they've been uh, very successful with those presentations. And so uh, I would certainly expect no less in this case. Mm-hmm. And Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis has brought RICO charges before in other cases. Do you have any insight into how effective she is at getting convictions under this statute in particular? Uh, certainly. Uh, DA Willis and myself co-presented the only RICO case uh, prior to this one that was ever brought uh, by the Fulton County DA's office. It occurred in 2015 with respect to the Atlanta Public Schools uh, cheating case. And uh, and at that time, uh, the RICO statute had not been previously used uh, by that office to bring about criminal charges. And so we both underwent a very intense level of education and uh, training with respect to understanding the RICO Act itself in Georgia and also how it can be used and uh, to obtain, um, you know, successful results in in criminal cases. And so I would say uh, she's extremely familiar uh, with the statute. She has historically been uh, a prosecutor that uh, has a tremendous amount of success uh, as a litigator. Uh, I find her to be very thoughtful and very thorough with respect to her analysis with complex legal issues. She is well positioned uh, to present this case uh, in a very, very uh, complete and comprehensive manner. Let me ask you about some of the details of this uh, nearly 100-page indictment. Uh, Some of the acts described here occurred out of state. Former President Donald Trump and his allies pressured elected officials in, for example, Arizona 
in Pennsylvania, uh, much like he famously pressured uh, Georgia Secretary of, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. How much does it matter that some of these actions occurred outside of Georgia? Uh, not much. You know, that is the benefit of using the RICO Act. Uh, it allows you to bring in uh, other acts and other instances, and they may not necessarily be crimes, but they can be presented uh, in a comprehensive uh, way to give you an overall global picture about how each of these uh, persons would have been engaged in a conspiracy in order to uh, interfere with Georgia's election electoral process. And so uh, the fact that they are bringing in um, incidents from out of state, um, I, I think shows the breadth and the depth under which the investigation took. And uh, it will give the jurors a complete picture. There are as many as, as 30 unindicted co-conspirators referenced in this uh, indictment. What roles might those people play in the case going forward? I know you might, might not know each of them individually, but in general, like what would an unindicted co-conspirator mean to the rest of this case? Right. So an unindicted co-conspirator normally means uh, a person who will serve in uh, another capacity with respect to the case. So that could mean as a witness, uh, it could mean um, that that person is actually cooperating uh, with the DA's office and, you know, their information would be used, you know, in the presentation of the case. And so uh, the fact that they are unnamed in the indictment, uh, eventually their identities will come to light. Um, and so uh, I would expect that at some point we would learn uh, who they are and what connection they actually have to the case. The case has been assigned to uh, Judge Scott McAfee. Can you tell us about him and his work as a judge? Sure. Uh, well, first, let me say that uh, Judge McAfee is uh, is a great guy. He's a great person. Uh, I know him personally. We worked together for several years in the Fulton County DA's office. Uh, our offices were actually uh, right across the hall from each other at one point. And uh, I found him to be uh, very affable. Uh, he's very smart. Uh, he's very thoughtful. And he's thorough in terms of how he handles the business of analyzing uh, complex legal issues. And so I've had the privilege of actually appearing before him uh, in my role as a defense attorney when he was appointed uh, as judge to the Superior Court bench in Fulton County. And I found his court demeanor to be uh, very, very good. He's very, very cordial and, um, and he runs his courtroom with great efficiency. He's got a great staff. And so I, I don't think this case will be over his head. He will prepare uh, himself to handle uh, lots of the nuances that comes from um, you know, overseeing a case of this magnitude. And so uh, certainly I think the judge will have the ability to oversee it and make sure that uh, fairness is in play for both sides. Mm -hmm. Attorney Clint Rucker is a veteran prosecutor who now works with Garland Samuel and Loeb in Atlanta, handling criminal defense matters and trial cases. He's also a judge presiding in the city of East Point and the city of South Fulton. Thank you very much for speaking with me. Thank you very much. 
In sports, the Atlanta Braves recalled infielder Vaughn Grissom from AAA Gwinnett ahead of their game against the New York Yankees tonight. The Braves beat the Yankees 11-3 yesterday. Grissom lost out for the starting shortstop job during spring training, but was promoted after the Braves placed second baseman Ozzie Albies on the 10-day injured list with a left hamstring strain. Nicky Lopez had three hits and drove in three runs while replacing Albies last night. It's the first game Albies missed all season. We've mentioned before, but worth repeating, that GPB has a new podcast called Narrative Edge, hosted by me and Orlando Montoya, some of your favorite public radio book nerds. We know you have many. In this podcast, we introduce you to authors, their writings, and the insights behind their work. We mix them up with our own thoughts and ideas on just what gives these books the narrative edge. On this week's episode, we talk with author Jonathan Eig and discuss his book, King, A Life. It's the first major biography of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in decades. Ig told us how he tackled writing about Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, a speech that has been analyzed many, many times. Well, there's a tr- problem with this storytelling that I encountered. How am I going to write about the I Have a Dream speech in a way that feels as powerful as the dream it's speech itself? I can't. I cannot, on the printed page, convey the magic, the power, the majesty of that speech. So I had to do something different. I had to think about being creative. And... I decided to take the lens off of Dr. King and show how that speech echoed with the people in the crowd. So I wove in three stories, really, the story of Dr. King and the words and the speech he's giving, along with the story of a teenage girl from Chicago, Francine Washington, who just at the last minute got on a train with a bottle of Coke and a change of underwear in her backpack and decided that she was going to come there because she was inspired by what she saw King doing. She was a black girl. And she wanted to believe that King could actually change her life. The other third person I wove in is the white bodyguard who's standing next to King as he gives a speech. If you look in the photos, you'll see there's this tall guy in a park ranger hat. His name is Gunny Gundrum. And I thought, who's that guy? Why is he in every photo of King giving his speech? And at one point, if you watch the video, Gunny reaches in and adjusts the microphone in the middle of the speech. Who has got the nerve to stick his arm in front of Dr. King when he's giving the greatest speech of his life? But Gunny did. So I tracked him down, too, and talked about what it was like for a white man who had never met a black person until he went into the army. What was it like for him? How did that speech change his life? So I wove those three stories into the chapter. King, A Life is filled with new information and perspectives from living witnesses, information from declassified documents, and portions of unheard audio recordings. You can find Narrative Edge at gpb.org slash narrative edge, or listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And that's it for today's edition of Georgia Today. If you want to learn more about any of these stories, visit gpb.org news. And if you haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, do it now. We'll be back in your podcast feed tomorrow afternoon. And as always, if you've got feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Email us. The address is georgiatoday at gpb.org. I'm Peter Biello. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.